0: October 18th, 2020. Today is the day that I told my congregation that I am leaving. Leaving the Methodist Church for a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons, and I don't know if I have all the time in the world to unpack them all. But needless to say, it has far more to do with things that happen at the conference level, that is to say, the organized church level, than it does with my individual congregations, of which I served two. I'd only been a pastor for four years, and trying to come to the decision on whether to stay or leave when you see it falling apart around you is very difficult. You know, I was a religious studies major in college, and that was four and a half years. And Then I went off to seminary to get my master's in divinity, and that was four more years. And then I went right into pastoring these two churches, so these are really my first two and only organized churches that I'll have served as a pastor. And that's a lot of time and effort to put into studying for a particular profession, a particular job, a particular identity. That's just sort of gonna go away now. And I'm really struck by that and really struggling with that in this time and have been. And honestly, I probably wouldn't have announced to the congregation this soon that I was leaving, I probably wouldn't have made the decision to leave quite this soon if it wasn't um, charge conference season, which is to say uh, the time of year where churches do all their paperwork to determine how the next year of ministry is going to go and whether or not the bishop and the cabinet need to appoint new pastors and where they're going to put them. And I really wanted to give this church the best chance to get a good pastor to be put in here that I could, so that meant that I had to make a decision sooner rather than later, so in some ways, I do feel like I was very rushed. Um, But we have good things coming for us, my wife and I, and um, we're excited about what's coming next. It's just that I have chronic anxiety, and for me, it's hard to get excited about a future that's eight months away. Uh, Instead, I just sort of sit in the anticipation, and I let it uh, eat away at me, more or less. But today was the day, today was the day that in service I announced uh, to the two United Methodist churches that I serve um, that I would be leaving, and come July 1st, 2021, they would have a brand new pastor to work with. I think the reactions were mixed. It's difficult because we're doing ministry right now in the time of COVID, and that means that uh, my one congregation, my larger congregation isn't meeting in their church. Instead, they sit in their cars in the parking lot and tune in their radios uh, to a station where we are transmitting what I am saying while I stand on top of a trailer uh, and preach to them and lead a service to them. And so when I announced in my worship service today that I would be leaving the church, I couldn't see their faces. I couldn't see their reactions, their responses. And it's so it's just quiet when I say it. And I didn't know what to make of it in that moment. I don't know what I expected. I don't know if I expected them to beep their car horns at me. I don't know if they were worried about how that would come across as like they were happy I was leaving or not. I do not. I don't know. But it just ended up being this awkward moment And as everybody was leaving, I stood there and waved as they went by, and many of them waved back like always, but nobody really stopped to talk about it or say anything. They wanted to go home and process their own feelings for themselves. And that's okay. I get that. Um, The second congregation, the smaller congregation, is meeting in person, but with face masks on, of course. Most of them already knew because I had already announced I was leaving to my SPRC, which is Staff Parish Relations Committee, who are technically my sort of bosses in the church. And it doesn't take long for word to travel amongst that family in the small church. And so once two of them heard, it, the whole family knew. And so I don't think there was much shock in that church. Um, there was a little bit. And I went home to watch football with my wife, like we always do on Sunday during football season. And only two congregants really reached out to see what was going on. We had tried to live stream the service where I announced it, but the live stream was getting messed up. So we had to pull the audio specifically and recast it out on the internet. And so it took a while for people to hear my service and my announcement on the internet. So I jotted down a little Facebook post explaining that I was leaving. And there was a lot of feedback to that, a lot of you know Facebook reactions, the care react, hearts, likes. People wrote some encouraging things about us moving forward in the future. Some of them I know to be genuine. Some of them I know to have been more of a good riddance goodbye, uh, as is sort of the nature of ministry. You can't please everybody. Some people are going to be sad when you leave. Some people are going to be happy to see the back of you. And that's just a reality you kind of have to deal with. But ultimately, there wasn't much reaching out today. There wasn't much. And I don't know why I expected it, but I think I did. And... Um, who did reach out to me were some of my colleagues, some of my fellow pastors in the Methodist Church or otherwise, uh, some who I haven't spoken to in quite some time, sent me text messages saying they saw my announcement wanted to know how it was doing and what the plan was. And, you know, I appreciated that, even even though some of us had kind of lost touch or we only really talked once or twice a year, you know, it was nice to know that um, there were people who understood There was no judgment or condemnation in any of their reaching out. There was just sort of this understanding. There was a a lot of good for you, for, you know, being your authentic self, not wanting to be held back or hide things anymore. I just want to talk about that because that's the reality of the situation of why I'm leaving is I'm so tired of pretending to be things that I am not Um, In the intro episode to this, I I talked about the idea of the professional Christian, how you have to put on this mask as a pastor and play this role for these people. You're performing constantly, and that's not my style. It's not who I am, and I think most of my people would probably say that I led pretty authentically uh, while I was a pastor here. At least I like to think that I did. I showed them a lot of myself. But I can't get up there and tell them to get their shit together from the pulpit, you know? I can't talk the way I was honestly raised to speak. Curse words are just sort of part of my vernacular, but in the church world, it's a big no-no. You can't curse, and so... I had to learn to pull that part of myself back. And it probably sounds silly to say that cursing is somehow part of my identity and that it's difficult to hold back. But it's like being forced to speak a different language with everybody else, which I know there's lots of pastors who truly are forced to speak not their first language. And so I don't mean to put that down. But just for me, it piled on top of everything else and became very difficult. And, um, you know, one of the things a lot of us young pastors see and talk about is... The reality that we all know, which is that the church, the organized church, whether it's Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopal, anything, it's dying. We're in decline. And every time the millennial generation, which is my generation, has reached out to and asked, what is it that keeps you from coming to church? Why why are you so turned off by it? What would, what would bring you in? Consistently, the conversation ends up revolving around authenticity. There's so much fakeness to church. There's this lack of authenticity and trying to make ourselves more perfect than we are. In my theology, I I want to strive for perfection, but I certainly don't want to pretend I'm there now. Because if I did that, I would stop seeking to better myself. And most people know that people aren't perfect. and So any kind of attempt to put on airs is just seen right through and rejected by my generation and gen z the generation coming up behind us and yet what i have found in my time in ministry in the methodist church which is largely or used to be considered one of the most open churches the the large the big tent church as they called it for a while i know a lot of my older congregants talk about how they came to the methodist church back in like you know the 70s because it was the church that welcomed everybody no matter what you know, we've really lost a lot of that in our identity in the Methodist Church, um, which, of course, is most prominent in our fight over uh, the rights of the LGBTQI community, but uh, can be seen in a lot of other places as well. Not the least of which, uh, not the least of which, is pastoral ministry. Um, so much about how the Methodist Church is structured seems to demand and thrive on secrecy. It seems to be this leadership style of leading people by only telling them what they need to know at the very last second that they need to know it. You know, the conference that I serve under really leads this way. And even when I reached out to my boss, uh, who is actually a wonderful person and a really, really good at her job, I don't want to drag her over the coals here, but um, the first response, the first reaction when you say I'm going to be leaving the Methodist Church uh, the, the first conversation is, okay, when are we going to tell people? What's the process going to be look like for telling people? And I, I do get it because from an organizational standpoint, there's there's people who need to be informed that this is happening before certain announcements can be made. We have a proper procedure for all of this, and it's very methodical, Methodist, go figure. And it sounds great, and on paper it's wonderful, but in practice what it means is that I have to go weeks and weeks and sometimes months sitting on a secret that I'm leaving. And then I eventually have my meeting with my staff parish relations committee and tell them that I'm leaving. And the initial response and reaction of the conference was to have that meeting now, now being October, so that the conference can start to already look for a replacement and my SPRC could be a part of that. But to wait to tell the whole congregation until late December, early January, Now, I'm not 100% sure what the reasoning behind all of that is. Uh, Maybe it's just to get through Christmas as smoothly as possible. Um, And maybe it's just because January is when they would find out about a new pastor being appointed and you literally couldn't wait past that. So it just goes back to the methodology of wait till the last minute to tell them. That's not only asking me to hold a secret and to lie to my people for months, but it's also asking everybody who sits on my staff parish relations committee to lie to their families, their friends, their congregants. And this isn't anything that raises any kind of alarm bells for people in the Methodist church. This is just sort of the way it functions and operates. And so you begin to see that, like, built into the very nature of this organization is a culture of deceit. It's not the intention. It's not that the Methodist church is primarily a organization of deceit. But the reality of how a lot of our methods are played out leads to lying and deceiving um, and holding things back. And so it's not surprising that we are looked at now and seen as inauthentic. Being authentic is something that is punished in the Methodist Church. Not only because sometimes being authentic and being honest and open with people means that you're gonna break procedure, But also because if I was fully my authentic self, and I'm not the only one like this, but many preachers, if we were fully our authentic selves, that would mean that we'd have to bring all of ourselves to the pulpit, to our people. And that would include our political perspectives. I mean, we live in America here, where I'm situated, where we have some say in our political processes and we're encouraged and in some ways demanded to be a part of this political process. We have to be educated politically. We have to have opinions on issues so that we can be educated voters. And that's a part of who we are and who our identity is, and yet I'm not allowed to bring that to this job, to this, pose- to this position. Now, plenty of pastors do and they try, but they are punished for it uh, because the church is primarily taking care of properties what we call churches, rather than the body of believers, which is the church. Um, And if we have these financial responsibilities, these properties we have to look after, then suddenly money becomes very, very important. And if you start to upset anybody who might give money, especially now in a time where membership and giving is on such a decline, any loss of button seats or money in the plate is just seen as such a failure of who you are as a pastor. So bringing your full authentic self, saying my reading of the gospel leads me to believe that people in the LGBTQIA community are of sacred worth and should be absolutely allowed to be married in the church. Something like that could offend the wrong person and they can say I will take my money elsewhere and suddenly everybody turns against you as a pastor, because you brought that into play, even when you see people struggling and you're just trying to stand up for them. So you can't, you can't bring your authentic self into this job, it's an inherent part of our system, and I know there's so many people who really want to be a part of a change to that system, to shift the way some of this works, and I love you dearly for wanting to be a part of that change. And I hope you'll forgive my cynicism when I say that I just think you're beating your head against a brick wall that's never going to budge. It's just baked into the system itself. You're never going to be able to authentically bring all of yourself into this system with the way that it is. It would need completely dismantled and built from the ground up. And I just don't think anybody is willing to do that. When they have their comfortable salaries and their comfortable health care, uh, which the conferences are slowly starting to take away from us anyway, because money is going away from the church as our people die in droves, even. <sighs> and so I just found myself at a tipping point where I couldn't do it all anymore. Um, I'm not burned out of ministry. I hate that word burned out of ministry, as if, you know, I've burned my flame too bright. I've done too much, and so now I'm just simply too tired to go on. That's that's not what's happening here. I just, I can't hold back who I am anymore. In some ways, the fire is too bright. I'm reminded of Jeremiah talking about the hot coal in his mouth, and it is burning him, and he can't hold it back anymore. He must let it out. It's this message, this... Truth that God has placed on his heart that he must let out. And that's not burning out. That's um, refusing to be held back anymore. And that's sort of where I am. I don't want to be a professional Christian for people. I don't want to be some false ideal of what everybody should live up to. I'm not burned out of ministry. I just want to be me. And I just want people to be in community with me, who I really am, who will really love me, and who I can really love in that community. Because we're not holding anything back from one another. And I know there are people in my two churches who would do that. But unfortunately, we're just caught up in a system of the United Methodist Church, which will never allow a pastor to truly be authentically themselves and so i'm leaving and this is day one of that being out in the public and it doesn't have a lot of consequences yet but i imagine it will and the next time you hear from me it'll be when i have something else to report about what we're doing next professional christian not included